Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. The opinions and statements voiced by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this network. Enjoy the shows. You are listening to WBHM, digital broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk only on Paranormal Experience Radio. Broadcasting live, live, live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome to the Paranormal Experience Radio Show with your host, Cap Hobson. We're here to learn all we can about every type of experience within the paranormal. There will be interviews with seasoned investigators of the spiritual realm, including ufologists, cryptozoologists, psychics, Mediums, authors, and creators of technology, and others with credible knowledge to share. Together, we will find out what brought these investigators of the unknown into the field and learn what keeps them working so hard in it. I'm interested in learning how these individuals go about their work, and I believe you are too. This program is all about bringing those who are in the field together with our listeners who are interested in what they find. For us, the paranormal is all about working with and supporting each other. We're all here seeking answers to the questions that bother us so. Now, let's get those answers. And enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to WBHM Digital Broadcasting. I am Kat Hobson, your host for the evening on Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson. Kind of redundant, right? But it works. I am really looking forward to tonight's show because I think this is going to be a fascinating chat. And hopefully I won't get stuck just saying, oh, that's so interesting, which I do when I get excited about a topic. And you all know that. We'll try to diversify that a little bit. But Trey... Hudson is my guest tonight. He is, he works for the federal government. He is someone who is very meticulous with his work. He is the founder of the Oxford Paranormal Society, which is a member of the Taps family in Oxford, Alabama. They wound up, due to experiences they had in the field, having to create a a tangent of that group, excuse me, and it's designated as the Anomalous Studies and Observation Group. The reasons are going to really surprise you. They did me. 
because I did not think that this was something that happened anywhere farther off than the Skimwalker. And the things that, that I have become aware of make me go, gosh, I think I'd really like to go out with them. But would I really like to go out with them? <laughs> the answer is yes. So without further ado, I have Trey. Hi, Trey. Yes, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. I dropped out there for a moment. That's okay. We so, got you back. That's what counts. Very good. Very good. Okie doke. Well, I'm just happy to be here. I uh, was just tickled pink. Uh, and ecstatic when I received your invitation to uh, speak to you and your listeners tonight. Thank and you. I'm hoping that uh, folks will find this of interest. I know I certainly do. Uh, and have devoted quite a bit of time to exploring, uh, you know, some of the mysteries we've just literally happened to stumble across. So uh, I'm basically, I'm yours for the next few hours. So Yay. be gentle. <laughs> Never. I've got to get the information out, right? Sure. So, sure. But I will be kind. There we go. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Well, first of all, I first heard you when I was producing another show that you were on. Mm -hmm. It was, I was just sitting there listening, thinking, I love my job. <laughs> right? <laughs> because not only do I get to talk to the most interesting people, I get to hear them on the other shows that I produce. So that's just like, bonus right that is bonus time and yeah that was a great evening with the uh late kevin malick i really enjoyed that show well he and jennifer were just such a great team absolutely oh yes and um we miss him so bad well, yes that so, is true and she is obviously still healing and yes we love her so we're actually yes. just kind of sitting here on the, you know, when she's ready, if she wants to do something, we're going to be here for her. So Very good. she's, she's wonderful. Yes. Now, how long has the Oxford Paranormal Society been functioning and what brought you to actually creating that? Well, that's uh, actually a little bit of a correction there. The uh, Oxford Paranormal Society was founded in 2006 by uh, three gentlemen, three friends. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be. No, no, that's quite all right. That's quite all right. And uh, I entered or entered the scene in about 2007. Okay. And I uh, came in and, you know, kind of worked work my way, you know, in and became an investigator for them. And, uh, you know, as it happens, uh, their lives took them in different directions. You know, that, that happens from time to time. And uh, they approached me and they said, do you want, you know, the Oxford Paranormal Society? And I said, well, you know, that's kind of a kind of a dumb question. Yes, of course. You know, definitely. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's why I always call myself the director and not the founder. And Got what I've tried to do is these three friends, you know, have set up such a wonderful legacy. Uh, and I've tried to uh, live up to that legacy. And I uh, continue on. Uh, so, I, like I said, I entered it in uh, 2007, and I had a bit of a hiatus in uh, 08 and 09. I was uh, in, a, in a place called Afghanistan doing some things. And I came back and uh, 
ended up with the uh, Oxford Paranormal Society and uh, kind of uh, the way the whole anomalous studies and observation group uh, came about is we started encountering things that were so bizarre, so strange, so out there that really didn't fit into the traditional, you know, go to a haunted location with your recorders and listen for EVVs. And I'm not, you know, I'm not diminishing that at all. I still enjoy that work. I still do it. But, you know, we found out that, you know, the traditional, and I hate the term ghost hunting, but the traditional kind of paranormal investigation wasn't a good fit for this. It just wasn't. So we uh, I reached out to some folks in the uh, law enforcement, special operations and intelligence world and said, you know, let's form a group that's uniquely equipped, skilled and trained to deal with you know, really crazy stuff. And uh, it just so happens that, you know, I stumbled across this location uh, somewhere in the southeast. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to disclose this location nor the state. But it is every bit as is as strange and as weird and as impressive as Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. And you've seen some of the video and uh, you know some of the uh, audio and stuff that I've sent you. So, Absolutely, uh, it, it, it's it, mesmerizing. It's really, oh, it's it's really something. Yes, and it's really shocking because it's you know, it is in this region. It's in the southeast, you know, and we think that. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe we think that places like this are, you know, somehow remote or, you know, not part of our world or that happens to somebody else on the other side of the world. Exactly. But the way I ran across this is I was following folklore, you know, and if you start following folklore, a lot of times there's something at the end of that thread that's kind of cool and kind of interesting. And uh, I happened to be a, uh, exploring some folklore about a haunted road in this part of the Southeast and uh, got a group together and we went out there and started investigating it. And uh, I experience was one of the most amazing UFO experiences uh, that we've ever had uh, or I've ever heard of. And it's just kind of a snowball from there. That's just amazing. Sure. Was and, Can I ask, um, so, for our listeners, um, because I've obviously read the briefing and seen the videos and stuff, but they haven't. So mm-hmm. when you say it was a, a UFO experience, was it an encounter? Were there creatures? Were, you know, can you be more it specific? Was, yeah, absolutely. And I'll, you know, I'll go through... Um, Mostly our experiences are, you know, they're public. Uh, like I said, the only thing that I'm really, you know, somewhat secretive about is the location because, you know, using Skinwalker Ranch as an example, you know, once that location got out, you know, they are just inundated, mm-hmm. you know, by, you know, thrill seekers and tourists and, you know, people wanting to get a peek. And that really contaminates the site, you know, much, much more than you would want. So well, trying to it keep could also be hazardous. Yeah, I'm trying to keep the site somewhat pristine, and we've been able to do so so far. But anyway, going, going back to the UFO experience, uh, I have a, a very good friend. He's a, a well-known Bigfoot researcher. His name is Bob. He actually was on one of the Bigfoot shows. And uh, he and I uh, met to get met 
at a uh, conference and decided we would do some investigating together. And one of his research partners and I had gone to an area about 30 miles away from our base camp and uh, left Bob there thinking that he would be, you know, safe and secure and, you know, would be the, uh, you know, the good caretaker of our equipment and uh, all our, our camping goodies. And we went out and we really didn't have much experience at all on this so-called haunted road. So that we were kind of bummed out and we got back and Bob was telling us about this UFO experience he had. While you were gone. And while we were gone, you know, we thought, well, you know, while we were, you know, we were out there and we heard, you know, a, a quail, a Bob White whistle, you know, and it's the winter time. So yeah, that was really mysterious and, and Bob's like, yeah, you haven't heard of anything. Let me tell you about what happened to me while you guys were there. No doubt. Of course, they kind of made me mad because he got all the good stuff that night, and we were left with the leftovers, but such is life. But um, Bob, let me tell you a little bit about him. Like I said, he's a Bigfoot researcher, uh, has been doing this stuff for many years. He's a retired law enforcement officer. Uh, in California, he was a uh, canine search and rescue dog handler. So he's like, you know, really dialed in, solid woodsman you know, law enforcement veteran, military veteran, you know, really a solid guy. And he said that uh, while we were gone, uh, it was a kind of a rainy evening, kind of like, uh, kind of like it is right now where I'm at. And he had uh, gone back behind the tents just to kind of walk around the camp a little bit. And he saw the moon, saw the moon come up. And so he thought, wow, that's really great. The moon is coming up. Uh, the clouds must be breaking and maybe we'll have a nice night. You know, look, there's the full moon. So he's standing there kind of uh, looking at the moon and, you know, thinking about, you know, the clearer night. And then the moon starts to move sideways. Oh, I love when the moon moves. Yeah, it's always kind of strange. Uh, and then he notices like a, a flash and like a beam of light, almost like a lightning flash, but it was like a straight beam with no thunder. Hmm. And then the moon moves sideways. And then the way Bob described it, it's almost like the iris of a camera. There was a small black dot that started in the middle of this orb, you know, this, this moon or whatever you want to call it. And the small dot got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the larger it got, the more it blacked out this, this white circular orb until it completely blotted it out. And then he looked up... Uh, on a ridge top, not far from us, and saw a, a cluster of about ten small orbs, like lights, off in the distance. And uh, you know, when Bob relayed all this to us, uh, I remember you know the three of us that were uh, researching that weekend, thinking, "This is the place we need to be looking at. Forget that area twenty miles down the road. This this might be it." And that is what started our uh, our investigations into this area and eventually uh, uh, rolled into uh, a bunch of really bizarre experiences that, uh, you know, made us decide to create the uh, Anomalous Studies and Observation Group and set up a, a much tighter set of protocols to, uh, to investigate some of this stuff. Well, how often do y'all go? Oh, gosh, as often as we can. Uh, we, <laughs> I would, too. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a drive. Uh, you know, and we have people coming from three or four states. Three, I think. I'd have to figure out where everybody's at. Uh, so, let's say three states. So, it's, it's a bit of a uh, scheduling nut roll to try to get everybody 
you know, at the same place at the same time. But we try to go every few months. Uh, and But the, the, the other side of that is what we've discovered with this side and other sides is if you really saturate them with a lot of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of research and a lot of, uh, you know, hullabaloo, sometimes they'll just go quiet yeah. and nothing will happen. So, you know, we try to uh, let the site rest, if you will, you know, to use that term. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, we try to get out there when we can. We've, we've got an expedition planned for next month, and we've got a few uh, tricks up our sleeve on that that I'll, I'll go into a little bit more. But, uh, but that was back when, uh, when Bob saw the UFO and all, that was back in uh, January of uh, 16th. So we've been doing this for a while. We've been looking at this site and, and uh, investigating it for quite a while. Well, when you started investigating it, because I have I have a lot of investigative experience, not so much going and trying to interact with or get reaction from craft. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to me, that's a different, a different perspective. What did you do initially to try to, to bring interaction to you? Well, we didn't really try anything to tell you the truth. It just, uh, it just started happening uh, in July of 2016, a few months after Bob's uh, strange experience. Uh, we decided to. Uh, to go back and investigate it. And this time we were going to set uh, teams out in this big meadow that we found. And that's where the term the meadow project, because we found out later that this meadow is an epicenter of all this really weird stuff. Hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, the crazy thing is this is all by accident. We just stumbled across this. Uh, but that, that particular uh, expedition, we decided we would take uh, one member which happened to be Bob because he was uh, one of the most skilled woodsmen we had and have him hike up on top of a ridge. And we would have teams down in the uh, meadow below. And we're still thinking, you know, maybe this is cryptid, which I mean, cryptids do play a part in all of this. So, you know, right. we're still thinking UFO and Bigfoot, you know, that's what we're thinking. And uh, so we're thinking if Bob runs across something, he'll drive it down the, uh, down the ridge and we all have our uh, FLIR units you know, uh, forward-looking infrared units, and we'll be able to see it. Well, where it got really strange is uh, Bob radioed us, and he said, I'm at the tree at location X, which was a well-known location that we pass hiking in and out. And he said, I don't know how I got here. Wow. And I'm like, holy smokes. You know, so, of course, you know, the, the first thing we think you know, being, you know, concerned about one another is maybe he had some sort of medical incident, you know, yes. maybe something happened. And uh, one of our other team members is a uh, paramedic. So he's like, oh, my goodness, Bob has had a stroke. So, you know, we get over there to Bob and, you know, do the little uh, you know stroke assessment and Bob's fine. You know, he's lucid. He knows where he's at. He just doesn't know how he got to this location. He said, I was walking along. And you know, the next thing I know, I'm at this landmark, and I don't know how I got here. I don't remember getting and walking here. So that's uh, you know that certainly is strange, and 
you know, taking into account that Bob is, you know, an expert, you know, tracker, you know, he did search and rescue in California, so he knows how to find missing persons. He's an expert, you know, navigator in the woods day or night. So, uh, you know, we just found this very, you know, very odd, a little worrisome. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you, and I'm so sorry, but we're at our first break. So I guess we'll just do this cliffhanger style. Y'all come back. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. We'll see y'all in a few. You're listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk only on Paranormal Experience Radio. Broadcasting live, live, live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um... Nope. That'll do. Hello, I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. We are confident that none of our hosts are possessed. Being repossessed a few times, that might be a different story. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you for listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 23 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson. That's me. And before we go another step further, I have to give a shout out to somebody who is one of the kindest people I know. And Sherry, I just don't know what to say about you, girl. Thank you so much. And I really needed that today. So I love you. And I will wear it proudly. So, goodies are always awesome. Now, we are talking with Trey Hudson. And I am just mesmerized by this because it's just almost unbelievable that somebody who is in good health, hasn't had a health incident, is however far it was back to that landmark tree. 
So, oh yeah, it, this was crazy. No, it, it was. Yeah, it was. It was really. You know, and the weird thing is, is you know, every time we have an incident happen, we're like, oh, you know, we hit the apex. You know, wow, this is just so crazy. You know, this is what we've been looking for. You know, these crazy, and it just keeps getting more and more extreme as we go along. So, as if that wasn't weird enough, uh, you know, we went and did an assessment with Bob, and he turned out to be, you know, healthy, a little disoriented. Uh, and there's a particular spot where you know his disorient disorientation took place that will come into play during our investigation that we had uh, uh, in, let's see, in November, last November. Uh, but so, you know, we got Bob kind of resituated and said, okay, we're going to continue on with our mission. You know, we're going to continue with having a person up on top of the ridge, teams down in the, uh, down in the meadow to see if anything, uh, anything happens. And Bob traversed the, uh, the ridge to the south, and not a dang thing happened. We didn't see squat. Didn't see a raccoon, didn't see a deer, didn't see anything. Skunked again, you know. So we've had our big paranormal experience and with Bob and missing time. So let's go ahead and call it a night. So our, uh, one of our teams are sitting there watching Bob as he drops down into the meadow. And he's traversing, you know, traversing the edge of the meadow. And they're watching him through the FLIR unit. And, you know, if you work with FLIR, you see a heat signature shaped like a man. Walking along, you can tell what it is. Well, all of a sudden, this heat signature turned into a spear, a ball of heat, not man-shaped yeah, anymore. Out of town. A sphere, and this sphere moved 150 yards in three seconds, and then turned back into a man. Whoa! That that man was Bob. And I did some calculation. He would have to be moving at faster than 25 miles per hour. Well, so but he, y'all got so woke right back up. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. And, uh, you know, we asked Bob, and this is where it gets a little bit relativistic, you know, as far as the uh, experience of time. It's like, you know, my God, Bob, you know, what happened? And he goes, what are you talking about? You just moved 150 yards in three seconds. No, I didn't. Oh, Bob, man. And he goes, no, I just walked along the field. You know, I just walked over here to y'all. Nothing happened to me. It's like, no, no, we saw it. It happened, Bob. No, it didn't. And it got into this, like, little argument, you know. And uh, and it was the unique thing was is you had you know, Bob and his background. And then the uh, team member that saw him is uh, is a paramedic graduated from one of the top uh, engineering universities in the country, has a master's degree, and the other guy that was with him also graduated from that very elite university, is a former Army Ranger, and is a physicist. These are, you know, these are the guys that are experiencing this. And so you, you take this in totality, you know, with not only the experience, but the quality of the experiencers, and it just almost becomes a uh, so weighty that it, it's hard to comprehend. Yes, I can so, see that. Okay. So once again, we believe that we hit the apex of that weekend. But as they say in the ShamWow commercial, but wait, there's more. <laughs> so we I love more. Yeah, more is better. 
and we've got some more coming up. Uh, oh, and I wanted to you know, tell your listeners, if they have any questions, they want to pop up on the chat line, uh, chat board, please feel free. I will answer anything I can. So, well, uh, I think I'm they're here. just like me. They're just kind of mesmerized with the information, and they're taking it on board. I'm sure there will be questions. Very good. Very good. Yeah, happy to happy to talk about this. Uh, so we decided, you know, wow, we probably have earned our money for the day. Not, not like we get paid anything, but, you know, right. we've earned our money for the day. So we went ahead and called it a night. And the next day we were discussing Bob's uh, strange experiences. And for some reason, he was like the weirdness magnet on this trip. And uh, said, Bob, you know, did, did you have your GPS with you? And he says, yes, of course, we all carry our GPS with us you know, with us when we're in the field. So, okay, well, let's look at your GPS track, you know, and see, you know, where you went. So Bob opens up his GPS and he says, this doesn't make any kind of sense. We looked at his tracks that showed, you know, the route he had taken and there were several uh, straight lines that went for six to eight kilometers, which is about four miles in a straight line. Now, this area in the southeast is very rugged. You can't go in a straight line unless you're in the air. Yes. So why would Bob have track lines on his GPS that stayed on his person in a series of dogleg tracks of about three to four miles apiece in a straight line? Where was Bob when he turned into that ball of light? And what happened to Bob when he was missing that time? Right. I don't know. I can take a guess. And I'm sure your listeners are taking a guess, too. But we were never able to figure it out. You know, it was just so strange. And uh, like a lot of people have experienced uh, whenever they're investigating this kind of stuff, we had some problems with our equipment, some electronic issues. We were told, Bob, when you get home, download those track lines you know, onto a disk or onto your hard drive or something so we can save them for posterity and study them and maybe do some analysis later. And before he got home, they were all erased off of the GPS. Oh, my gosh. Did someone at least get a, a phone camera phone shot at that? No, no, we did not. We didn't think about it because we thought, you know, our, your GPS, you know, saves your track line. So, you know, why would we need to take a photograph of it? Right. And, you know, this is a learning experience for us. And, uh, you know, while we were discussing Bob's track line, uh, one of our other members who is a uh, flight paramedic came and told us that uh, he had gotten up about 2 o'clock in the morning and, uh, was going to go take care of some business at two o'clock. And as he's walking to the camp, he looks and he sees a white humanoid shape watching us from the edge of camp. Wow. And that was about 0200 in the morning, two o'clock. Right. So, uh, most of us are, uh, have taken, uh, combat tracking courses you know, so we know how to track people through the woods so we went over to where he saw this and looked and you know explored and we could not see where anything had been there but once again this is a very down-to-earth you know medical professional uh, and you know he saw this humanoid you know watching us and strange thing is the uh the incidence of a white humanoid 
fits in with the folklore of this area. There have been reports going back, you know, generations of a humanoid fitting this description in that area. So now we've got possible cryptid stuff. We've got, oh, you know, whatever you want to call it, time shifts or whatever. We've got UFOs. And uh, we've also seen strange floating orb-like lights. So, and Bob flitting all over the area. Bob flying all over the area like some sort of drunken buzzard. You know, I don't know. Exactly. I mean, four four miles. That's a lot of area. Oh, you know, it's uh, it's it's very hard to traverse even with the automobile. I mean, it's that the train is that rugged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you know, we have to equip our teams, you know, especially if we're going to move any kind of distance like that on foot. Uh, so, you know, we're thinking we've hit the jackpot here. This is, this is the strangest, uh, you know, the strangest, weirdest weekend we could ever have. We were wrong. It got, <laughs> gets even. This is just like the Shamu guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Except uh, you know, if you if you you know send me some money right now, I'll send, uh, add a second order. You just pay shipping and handling. Uh, I'm kidding, but uh, <laughs> so we had all this stuff going on, and you know, so we were hooked. You know, it's like we were you know kids that had just figured out how to open up the candy jar. You know, we wanted more. You know, we were like little paranormal piggies. We just you know we wanted more. Wanted to stuff our faces. So we decided to uh, go back to this area in February. Of 2017. Now, a lot of times we'll go out there in the winter time because we can see uh, see more because the vegetation is you know diminished and has died right. off. The area doesn't tend to have as many people in it because it's just doggone cold and uncomfortable. So uh, the plus side is the snakes are in you know they're they're snake layers. So oh, yeah. that's a they're, good thing, or they're they slow anyway. Slow. They go on their little snake vacations down to Boca Raton or wherever they are and, yeah, during the wintertime. Uh, That's a good sight. So, so in uh, 2017, uh, it kicked into high gear. And we had uh, people from various states joining us. We had a group from uh, the Carolinas uh, join us. We had a group from Georgia join us. Uh, and what we were starting to experience and realize is if you start putting things into a box, you know, if you say, okay, I'm a paranormal investigator and I only want to look at quote unquote ghosts, or I'm a Bigfoot investigator and I only want to look at Bigfoot, or I'm a UFOlogist and I only want to look at UFOs, that you're missing a lot. Yes, you because are, because they're all paranormal. Yeah, absolutely. We have all of this stuff going on here. So we started taking a much broader you know, broader viewpoint, and we thought, well, what if we start bringing best practices from the various, you know, fields and overlap? You know, why don't we use some paranormal-type techniques in UFO studies, you know, and vice versa? So, you know, that's kind of our, uh, you know, that's kind of our philosophy going into this. Uh, so we go back to the meadow, because that seems to be the epicenter, and we we're calling this the Meadow Project because it's going to be a long, multi-year investigation into this area of high strangeness. And uh, so we uh, had a lot of people on this particular expedition in February of 2017 and had multiple teams out. 
And we went out to the meadow, got set up, you know, kind of got acclimated to the environment that let everything calm down. And one of the teams came on the radio and said, okay, we need a, uh, we need a check where everybody is at. Now, we use a, uh, since a lot of us have a military background, we use a military-type command and control. You know, nobody moves from any location unless they're given permission. We have a, a radio net control officer that acts as a conduit for communications. We all have radios. So everybody knows where everybody's at. So the uh, team said, okay, where is everybody at? We all gave our location. My team was working along the top of the, uh, the ridge I'd mentioned before, and I had two teams down in the, uh, down in the meadow. We gave our location, and uh, this team said, well, we see three, no, I'm sorry, we see one humanoid figure on FLIR standing in the meadow. Are you sure that's not any of you? And it's like, no, you know, we all gave our locations, and it wasn't us. And then the single figure turned into three figures. It, like, morphed into like three morphing figures. out? Yes, like, you know, Whoa. one became three. And it was described as like a, uh, you know, like what a human being would look like if they're standing there on a FLIR unit with their arms by their side, just kind of a tall, you know, six-foot, six-and-a-half-foot oblong. So uh, he lost sight of these figures, and we never could, uh, we never could pick up uh, these figures again. And we're thinking, wow, you know, we just saw a manifestation of, uh, you know, some strange figures, you know, in this area. So tonight's a success. Until the, one of the other teams said, we're seeing a box forming in the meadow. A box? What do you mean a box? Like a box. They said a box, like a cube. On yeah. That is something that I find very interesting because... There are reports of boxes, box-like craft of the dimensions that you saw, but I've never heard of them around here or in anywhere other than like Utah, northern, you know, Nevada, going over into Washington State. I mean, this is not something that happens just in in the the normal, yeah. You know, and that's what kind of uh, piqued my interest is, you know, I'm, I'm like you. I, you know, I, I enjoy the Skinwalker Ranch, uh, you know, mythos and you know, stories and all of that, the folklore behind it. And, you know, there are numerous reports of the uh, Sherman seeing a flying box, mm-hmm. you know, like a, they've called a flying refrigerator. There's also reports uh, out of Brazil, and yes. uh, I keep I can't remember the name of the, uh, the province it was in, with flying boxes that would paralyze people with rays. And they said it looked like a flying refrigerator. Mm-hmm. So now we've got a doggone box, you know, forming in our meadow. So, you know, it was uh, where you have just people. Took... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, where we had three. Where you have personnel. Teams. Yes. Right. So we're like, oh, my goodness, you know, what do we do? What do we do? So it formed up. And uh, the team radioed into uh, net control, saying, hey, I've got this box forming. And I, uh, I took over what we call tactical control, control of the teams in the field. And I said, okay, I want the teams to come together, consolidate, and then we'll figure out what to do about this box. 
And while we were all moving over to the, the team that had the box under observation, it dissipated. It went away. Well, doggone it, you know, it went away. And uh, so while we were discussing this, another box started forming, a little bit lighter than the first one. And we said, okay, we're going to vector a team to this box. Right. Now imagine a mountain meadow in the wintertime. All the vegetation is dead. You know, it's not, it's not pines. It's mostly hardwoods. Can I interrupt you to ask if this was the, this incident was the video that I saw? Yes. Okay. Yes. This because I have questions about that. Sure. So our team, we sent, we sent a team into where this box was forming. And before they got there, the, uh, the FLIR operator said, well, it's gone. You know, it's, it's completely dissipated. And it's like, well, you know, well, let's go over there anyway. You know, maybe there's some physical evidence or something. So the team approached this area where this cube was or this box. And they said they traversed, you know, right up to where the box was, did not have any kind of obstacles. And all of a sudden, everything got very dark. They said it was almost like somebody dropped a black velvet drape over them. Mm -hmm. It was just pitch, you know, blacker than black, just, yeah. you know, so black that you would describe as an absence of light. And then it dissipated. Uh, and they noticed a little bit of a change in temperature when they entered this this area. And uh, we're watching them on FLIR, and when they get to the area where the box was, now remember, there's no vegetation. It's wintertime. Right. They, dis they disappear. Completely. Completely. And to them, all they're experiencing is, hey, we're in this black area that's really dark, and it's a little cold. But we're watching them on FLIR, and they walk up to it, and they're gone. That was and my question. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was yeah. absolutely the strangest thing I've ever seen. And if that had been a team working with me, I would have been, yeah, you know, my mind would have been going 2,000 miles an hour trying to ascertain, well, okay, are they all right? We, you know, we have other people near them, but they're going to be a minute getting there. Did they just get abducted? Right. Because and they just was... completely, I mean, there wasn't any fading out. No, you've and seen the video. I did. And, I mean, there was no fading. And when they came back, there was no, like, fading back in. They were just there. It's amazing. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely groundbreaking. Absolutely groundbreaking. And so, you know, they disappear. And it's like, you know, did they just disappear? And, uh, and then one of the uh, FLIR operators looks to her right, and mm -hmm. there's a figure. Watching is from the tree line. And she goes, who or what is that? You know, and I've got that on video also. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she's like, well, I'm not going to worry about whatever that is over there. We've got members that just disappeared. You know, where are they? Are they in another dimension? Did they get abducted? Oh, you know, well, we're gonna, you're going to have to tell me in just a minute. Because sure. break. we'll be right back and... Guys, this is awesome. I know y'all are loving it, but we will be right back. You're listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, 
the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal. From ghosts, to ufology, to cryptids, and beyond, you'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Paranormal Experienced with Kat Hobson, and we are having a great time. Trey Hudson is my guest. He is Oxford Paranormal Society's director. He has started the Anomalous Studies and Observation Group as a branch of that. Oxford Paranormal Society is a TAPS family member. The The other branch is what they felt like needed to be part of their group because it was a different field of study. And if you've been listening, you know why. And if you have not been listening... Oh my gosh, you're going to have to listen to the archives. But no worries, they'll be on iHeart, Deezer, Spotify, you'll find us everywhere. So, Trey, I apologize that I had to interrupt you. You have got like 14 minutes until we go to our top of the hour break. And please share that information. We do have questions, but they want to hear this part too. You just have been sending the guy home. Okay, yes. Uh, well, well, we haven't you know, gotten we there. Haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, we, uh, oh, we still have our, our woman in black, mysterious visitor to our campsite. That discuss, was astounding, so. too. Yeah. So we, uh, we got the team out of the, uh, you know, out of the void, and we were watching them on FLIR. Everybody was unscathed, you know, much, much to our relief. And our team consolidated, and we started talking. And it's, you know, we had a real decision point here. Do we continue to investigate or do we go back, do a video after action review and try to capture as much of the information as we can while it's fresh in our minds 
And uh, so we can analyze it later. And there was a little bit of back and forth, and we decided we would go back to our camp, do an after-action review, and uh, you know try to uh, put some sort of sense on this as, as if you could. Well, the radio uh, keys up, and my uh, net control officer and uh, camp officer says, hey, there's somebody here that wants to talk to you, wants to talk to somebody in charge. And I'm like, in the middle of nowhere. Yes, out in the middle of nowhere. And I said, it's 1130 at night, you know, in February. You know, (laughs) this doesn't make sense. He goes, yeah, this person, you really need to talk to this person. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, we'll be back in a few. We have to hike back, you know, hike, hike back to camp, you know, pick up all our gear and get our wits back about us. And hopefully we don't get abducted and flown around the mountains like Bob did, you know, on the way back. And uh, so we made it back to camp, and much to my surprise, there's a businesswoman there. She's wearing See, this slacks. This is just so bizarre. <laughs> this is so no, it's, odd. It's it's crazy. And so this businesswoman is standing there, and she's wearing slacks, a blouse, a blazer, loafers, in the forest in the middle of nowhere at 11:30 at night. In the wintertime. And she says that I want you to go to this particular road that's about five miles away. And at the end of this road, there's an old barn or a house. And there's a family of creatures called monkey bears that live there. And you need to drop what you're doing and go right now. So... You know, any sane person, if you're approached by a mysterious businesswoman in the middle of the forest at night. <laughs> you're going to just leave right you, there with her. <laughs> sure, why not? That makes perfect sense. So we said, not no, but heck no. You know, we are not going to, to chase some mysterious businesswoman around the forest, you know, in the middle of the night. And while she's trying to convince us to, uh, to follow her to, you know, God only knows what we noticed that she has very odd behavior. She seems intoxicated. And probably the apex, the strangest thing that she did is she stepped right out to the edge of our, uh, the light of our camp where we had our lanterns. She squats down and urinates right there in front of everybody. So I started thinking this after I got home. If you go back and you read the stories of men in black mm-hmm. that approach experiencers, yeah. they're improperly dressed for the occasion. They do not understand social cueing. Nope. You know, they, they don't know how to interact. Something's off with them. And they try to distract, disorient, and misdirect the experiencers. So I'm like, check, check. Check, you know, all the check marks are there. Absolutely. So it's like I am definitely not going, you know, off to some strange <laughs> forest road to get probed tonight. I just don't particularly feel like it. I've got work to do. So she finally, uh, you know, took no for an answer and left. And we did a uh, after action review and we videotaped it. And we thought that this experience was so unique that we took the after-action review, all the uh, FLIR footage and every, all our audio, 
and we copied it onto uh, SIM cards that evening. We put it into a Faraday pouch, a foil pouch, protected against electromagnetic uh, interference, gave it to one of our members who was a motorcyclist, and he left to drive several hours to home. And he got home about 2 or 3 in the morning because we felt like we needed to take that data and get it as far away from the site as possible. Absolutely. Because we did not did not want it getting erased like uh, you know like some of our other information. So what we've experienced are strange orbs or lights, UFOs, mysterious visitors that seem out of place, lurking humanoid figures watching our camp, missing time, disorientation, strange boxes appearing that uh, and members uh, disappearing. So you know we have hit you know the jackpot of uh, paranormal stuff. So that was the uh, that was the end of that expedition. You know that Saturday night was certainly more than we had bargained for. So uh, this would probably be a good place to uh, if anybody has any questions. I'll uh, certainly give them a shot. Absolutely, I am because Sherry was asking what led you into into this meadow and into this ufology research or whatever, you know, high strangeness is happening. And she says that, you know, did you ever capture any voices on your equipment? She's like, if you used ghost hunting equipment there, you might've caught something. Did you ever have anything of that nature? Uh, you know, we've done some EVP type stuff there. We've never caught anything. Now, one thing that we have experienced is you know, way off in the distance, several times we've heard a, uh, a murmuring that sounds like uh, almost like uh, Ron Moorhead's uh, Sierra sounds, you know, like the samurai chatter, you know, that he recorded in the high Sierras in California. So kind of a, a strange voices off in the distance. And strange that you should mention voices because I just remembered something that I forgot to put in my notes is after our after action review, one of the members was returning to his tent, an uh, individual by the name of Lee, and he heard a metallic, mechanical-sounding voice about 25 feet above him talking very, very quietly. He couldn't make out what it was saying. But obviously there was no, you know, mechanical robot talking thing flying above our camp at 25 feet in the middle of the night. So that's just more high strangeness added to this, uh, this area. And how did I run across it? It was just completely by accident. If Bob had not had that UFO experience, you know, in this general vicinity, and we just happened to discover this meadow, we would have never known about it. That is just so wicked cool. I mean, truly. Let's see. Um, I want to make sure I'm not missing a question. I think there's another one here. Uh, she was like, oh, so you've been a ghost hunter and then you were out with, you know, Bigfoot Bob and this is what you got. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is I just, you know, this is like Merry Christmas to you for all the paranormal investigators. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, it would be it's just a paranormal. A, it's the paranormal grand slam, absolutely. It is absolutely all, all on one side. And yeah, I know people thought that I was hyping this up when I was talking about, you know, 
If you missed Skimwalker Ranch being on Tuesday night, which I did because I love that show, and um, oh. Travis Taylor is someone I admire a lot. I think that he is mm-hmm. he's very smart and he's very nice, but he's very yeah um, meticulous. He is meticulous and he's funny as all get out because you can tell that he is from Alabama. Every time uh-huh. he goes to yep. get in a truck and he says, I got shotgun. You know, that just makes those other men cringe. That's so funny. But, okay, now Sherry wants to know what state this was in, and that's not something that's going to be revealed. Because Yeah, I'm so Yeah, yeah I will is, say that. Yeah, it's in the southeast somewhere. You know, so that goes all the way from Virginia to Texas, you know, and everything in between. Somewhere in the southeast. Yeah. And, you know, I don't blame you because, A, if you have someone showing up with, you know, behaving as a person in black, because there are women in black just like there are men in black. If you don't believe me, Nick Redfern's got the book on it. So it is not unexpected. It is rather unexpected that she would be alone. It is not unexpected that she would try to lure you away from the group or that she would, you know, just drop trial right there in front of everybody. I mean, it's just anything to be a distraction. It was just, you know, my uh, paramedics that I had on the team said, I have never in you know 25 years of <laughs> dealing with, you know, strange people doing strange things. I have never experienced anything like this. Now, she did have a silent, sulking young man with her that she introduced as her son, but he never said more than three words. Did he look like his son? You know, I mean, as much as anybody's child looks like their parents, you know, it was was dark and uh, we could really, you know, get a good look at either one of them. But uh, could have been, could have been. Who knows? There is no telling. In that situation, I, and monkey bears, that has to be Bigfoot. Has to be, but I've never heard that term before. Ever. And they're not even close to looking like monkey bears. I guess maybe, but that's, ah. I guess maybe you were a drunk businesswoman lost in the woods. Maybe they'd look like monkey bears. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um, yeah, Sherry wants to know, have you had crazy experiences ghost hunting? What was your craziest one and where was it? And we've only got about a minute and a half before we go to break. So you Uh, couldn't really describe that very well, could you? Not really. We can probably pick it up on the other side of the break. I think so. Okay, cool. So, you know, I am, I'm so glad you're here. I have been looking forward to this conversation because... Kevin and Jennifer, one of the things I've found is that I have great hosts on my network and everybody has a different style. And there were questions that I was sitting there writing down as I was listening to them interview you. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a great interview. Thank you. It It was. was good information and good communication. So we are going to go ahead and hit our top of the hour break. 
this is a news break, so this is a good time to get up, stretch your legs, maybe throw a few cartwheels, fill up your beverage, whatever floats your boat and whatever needs to happen. We'll be back after this, and you know what? Never give up hope. Maybe there is some good news. One can always hope. So we'll be back. Y'all come back too. And we will continue on with Trey Hudson. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The United States has passed a grim milestone in the battle against the coronavirus today. More than 100,000 Americans have now died from COVID-19. NPR's Rob Stein is more. More than 1.6 million cases and more than 100,000 deaths have now been recorded by a closely watched coronavirus tracking service run by Johns Hopkins. Tom Inglesby runs the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. It's a really sad milestone for the country. I think we need to step back and just remember that that's 100,000 lives that are lost. That's 100,000 families that are grieving. The United States has been hit harder than any other country in the world. And even though the nation is starting to reopen, many public health experts warn the pandemic is far from over. Rob Stein, NPR News. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden says the death of a Minneapolis man in police custody Monday was, quote, horrific. NPR Scott Detcher reports Biden is calling for a federal investigation. Video shows a police officer pressing down on George Floyd's neck with his knee as Floyd repeatedly says he can't breathe. Biden says the death is not an isolated incident. It reminded him of Eric Gardner's similar death from a New York City police officer's chokehold in 2014. I'm glad the mayor of Minneapolis uh, stepped up right away in the police department and took swift action to fire the officers involved. But I don't think that's enough. Uh, They have to be held more fully accountable, including the FBI investigation and an independent Department of Justice civil rights investigation. The FBI is already investigating, along with state authorities. Scott Detrow, NPR News, Washington. A no-go for liftoff today for two NASA astronauts at Florida's Kennedy Space Center who've been hoping to begin the first major space mission to launch from U.S. soil in nine years. NASA and the private rocket company SpaceX aim to send veteran astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken to the International Space Station in newly designed Dragon crew capsule, but minutes before liftoff, the launch had to be scrubbed due to bad weather. NASA will try again this weekend. The European Union's proposal for its next seven-year budget includes a special recovery fund for countries devastated by the coronavirus. Terry Schultz reports the proposal faces weeks of harsh debate, though, over where more than $2 trillion will be coming from. Every seven years, the European Union has to agree on its joint budget. This time, the always bitter debate must also consider an impending deep recession due to coronavirus. Even before today's publication of the European Commission's proposal, countries had staked themselves out on opposite sides of the roughly $800 billion recovery fund. France and Germany favor giving grants to governments. The frugal four of Austria, Denmark, the Netherlands and Sweden say funds must be repaid. Terry Schultz reporting from Brussels. On Wall Street today, the Dow was up 553 points. The Nasdaq rose 72 points. This is NPR. International Labor Organization says it's taken a look at the effects of the coronavirus lockdown on young people and found upwards of one in six are not working as a result of the global pandemic. The UN Labor Group says that if steps aren't taken to ease the crisis, there's a danger of what the organization calls a lockdown generation. According to the U.N. Labor Group, the equivalent of around 305 million jobs have been lost worldwide due to COVID-19. 
General Electric is switching away from light, the lighting business. The company selling its light bulb manufacturing arm to Savant Systems. As NPR's Camila Dominowski reports it is the end of an era. General Electric has made light bulbs since it first began as a merger between Thomas Edison's company and a rival business. For more than a century, GE kept making light bulbs and carried on Edison's tradition of innovation by perfecting fluorescent bulbs, halogen bulbs, and LEDs. But several years ago, GE announced plans to cut off its lighting business. It is a small part of the modern company, which makes everything from jet engines to x-ray machines and loans, too. GE did not disclose the financial terms of the deal to sell its lighting business. Under the proposed deal, the brand will live on, and GE Lighting will continue to be headquartered in Cleveland. Camila Dominoski, NPR News. AT&T, which owns HBO, is about to find out whether a national pandemic is the best time to launch a new and somewhat expensive streaming service. The company's invested billions in HBO Max. It's the first major venture for the company since spending $85 billion to purchase Time Warner back in 2018. The new service launches today and seeks to emulate the Netflix model. I'm Jack Spear, NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from DuckDuckGo. Getting privacy online can seem complicated. DuckDuckGo makes it simple. Millions of people use DuckDuckGo to search and browse privately, avoiding trackers. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Welcome back to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is five minutes after the hour. Welcome back to the second hour of Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson. That's me. Hi. And I am joined tonight by someone that I am having the best conversation with. Trey Hudson is the director of the Oxford Paranormal Society here in Alabama. He is, he's, he's ferocious. I'm telling you what, they had such, such activity that they started experiencing that they had to add another dimension to the Oxford Paranormal. And that is the Anomalous Studies and Observation Group. And I'm telling you, the stuff they observe is unreal. The, the experience itself is something that I find fascinating. I have grown up with a love of Skinwalker Ranch. A person I admire a lot is on the show and doing a great job, I think. He is... He has got seven advanced degrees, two of them are PhDs, and he just is mesmerized by the stuff happening there. And kind of, Trey, this is the kind of individual that you have put into your group. Oh, yes, absolutely. Trying to make sure that everything is scientific, that their credentials are meticulous, and that they have ideas on ways to rationalize what they're seeing when they can you know and that that's kind of the way we've looked at it and you know the individual you're talking about i'm watching the tv show and i'm like you know how would i approach investigating this and you know as soon as i can come up with a thought he's using you know a similar methodology and i'm like well he's you know he's dialed in he's you know doing what i think is the you know the best way to go ahead and approach you know these particular kind of events uh absolutely yeah and it's uh, you know, and we can say, I mean, it's Travis Taylor. He's from here, so yeah, but he is—he is a genius. He truly is. Yes. 
who just happens to like to yeehaw across the Texas Plains and the Mars Rover and, you know, <laughs> and gets to do these things. It's just disgusting. But seriously, he is one of the greatest minds in propulsion research. And he is, he's going to find a way. I know he's going to find a way. They're already teleporting, you know, single-cell organisms, and that's advancing pretty rapidly. So there's cool stuff happening, and nothing, I guarantee you, nothing like what you've got happening. <laughs> so, uh, well, this no, is, and, you know, you were mentioning, you know, mentioning, you know, the, the way of looking at this as science. We have a, uh, a physicist on our team. Yes. You know, we say, Tim, what do you think about this? And he's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> got I, don't, I don't have any. I got yeah, nothing. He was, yeah, he was one of the ones that disappeared, you know, from the clear. And he's like, ah, you know, I can tell you what, you know, what I experienced. Uh, and that's about it. Now, what we have done is uh, we've started bringing you know, more equipment. And I hate to be, you know, gear centric. I think that can detract from the experience. But we're, you know, we brought Kerry Geiger counters now. A that's a good meters, idea. Uh, you know, EMF, uh, you know, compasses, mm-hmm. you know. And we've got a few theories that we're uh, throwing around out there. And uh, and we're trying to figure out a way to capture, you know, some of the uh, precursors, you know, uh, empirically. You know, is it a spike in radiation or is it a fluctuation in radio frequency or something that we're maybe we can come up with some sort of predictor, you know, when these things will happen and, and maybe, you know, pinpoint it because, you know, it's, it's like when the astronomers first picked up the uh, first detected a quasar. Yes. They didn't know what it was. It was something weird. And we just have to take it for what it is and accept it and try to study it instead of poo-pooing it and saying it doesn't fit within our established understanding of the universe. Just because something doesn't fit into our box doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we have to expand our box. Exactly, and but you have to be methodical, realistic, and scientific in how you're expanding your box, because otherwise you're just expanding your off willy nilly, and everything is there. But if you're right. if you're being analytical with excellent record keeping, then you can find your way in into an understanding possibly because this is not happening in a void. This is happening in different locations. This is the third one I know of in the U S that someone has spoken to me about being an actual, all things paranormal site. And I find it interesting that y'all are carrying Geiger counters because when I, when I got the, um, the brief, because I got that first mm-hmm. before the disc got here. I was going through there and I'm like, are y'all checking for radiation? Because you're out there. This is near you. If it's, you know, we don't know what kind of propulsion system is being used because obviously it's, it's not just, you know, Bob was zipping all over. Right. right. So there yep. is propulsion and there is, interaction with that propulsion by y'all. So you need to know what you're being exposed to as well as if that's 
what they're using. Right. For the, you know, for not only a, uh, you know, an experimental or, you know, empirical point of view, but, you know, for the safety of our team members. Exactly. You know, we certainly don't want anyone getting, uh, getting sick. Uh, so, uh, we, uh, we decided to visit the area uh, in April of 2018. Like I said, we're giving it a little bit of a break between, uh, you know, between our expeditions. And uh, we decided to tighten up our protocols a little bit. We now have a protocol if we approach, and I'm going to use a label. I usually try not to use labels, but I'm going to call the thing a portal because I had team members go somewhere and they disappeared and came back out of it. So I'm just going to call it a portal because that's a convenient word. So, you know, we have protocols now. We go to a portal. We rope together. You know, we have a recorder. We have a videographer. You know, we have somebody running, you know, some of the equipment detecting radiation, EMF, uh, electromagnetic field, stuff like that. So, you know, we have a little bit tighter protocols on that uh, so we can get a better, uh, you know, a better capture of maybe what's going on. But we, uh, in April of uh, 18, uh, I got an email from Bob saying that he had found a similar meadow. Now, something that I didn't go into in my briefing notes is north of this area, there's a lake. And this lake has history of strange, mysterious orbs and lights in the sky and, you know, all of this stuff. So this meadow was kind of halfway in between our meadow and the lake, the mysterious lake. And, you know, it's got, like I said, it has a history of this, of Bigfoot UFOs and stuff. So we thought, well, let's try to figure out if this is a localized uh, experience, a localized phenomenon, or if it's regional, you know. Uh, so we decided we were going to backpack into this, uh, this meadow, and it was remote, you know, cross-country hiking. And, you know, this is where uh, ASOG uh, is a little bit different. That We have team members that can literally put on a backpack and boots, you know, pack up all of our gear, all of our detection equipment, and move into remote, extremely remote locations and set up operations. So, you know, we've got that, uh, you know, we've got the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And so we hiked into this location, and after uh, several miles of slogging cross-country and creek crossings and me fussing at Bob because I didn't think it was worth it, you know. We got to this <laughs> we got to this mysterious meadow and doggone it if it wasn't posted. It was private property. So Oh man. So it's like doggone it, you know, we're skunked. No, this isn't gonna be worth anything. This is gonna be really you know, just really a stinky trip. But, you know, we were exhausted and tired and said, Okay, you know, we'll find uh We'll find a place to set up our camp where we had hammocks and tents. Oh, and the and the area around it had been uh, had recently had a controlled burn, so it looked like the doggone surface of the moon. Oh gosh, and that's messy too. Oh, it's awful. So we found a little green strip just outside of the the posted no trespassing sign. It's like, okay, we'll claim this as our little as our little domain here, so we're not camping right in the ash. And so uh, we, we set our camp up and, you know, ate our backpacking meals and talked a little bit and decided we would explore the area a little bit and, you know, didn't really see much of anything and decided to call it a night. Well, 
uh, it turned out that the night had a few more things waiting for us. <laughs> yeah. You're just lucky with that. I am. I just, you know, I just, just, I'm going to have a horseshoe in my pocket or something. It's a cool thing. So at about two o'clock in the morning, my two of the uh, team members that backpacked in there with me, uh, we had like about six people with us. They noticed a, a, a light illuminating a dirt track. It was a uh, actually a fire break that was like a very narrow road right there near where we were camping. And one of our uh, team members had a tent set up in this uh, this dirt track that was about probably six feet wide. And the rest of us had hammocks. And so one team member in a hammock and the other team member in the tent saw a beam of light shining down this dirt track like a very concentrated, narrow beam. And, you know, I asked them, you know, was it, like a headlamp, and they said no. It was nothing like a headlamp. So because, like a laser, you know, we really larger than a laser, just like a, a very tight white beam. Wow! And it shone for about twenty seconds. And uh, you know, like I said, one team member was absolutely adamant that it was not a flashlight or a headlamp because we had been using, you know, our flashlights and headlamps uh, all evening. Mm-hmm. And once again, we were so remote that we had to pack in there with our gear on our back. So, you know, what was this light? We never found out. It shone for about 20 seconds and went out. A few hours later, uh, one of our members uh, woke up uh, and saw the uh, sun coming up. And thought, oh, great, you know, the sun's coming up. You know, it's going to warm up a little bit. This was, uh, was still cool, about 40 degrees, except the sun was coming up in the west. Well, that's different. It was, yeah, it was the wrong side. And the sun was coming up from the direction of this mysterious lake. He said it was like a, a glow, like a bright, you know, kind of glow illuminating the forest, kind of orangish, yellowish which I've seen mysterious lights in this uh, lake area similar to that. So just bizarre stuff going on. And we wake up and start packing up our gear. And uh, Terry, who happens to be an electrical engineer on our team, called us over. And I'm going to read a quote from you. And this is the backpack picture that I sent you. Okay. And I'm going to... And I am going to quote Terry on this. Terry says, and I quote, Upon walking over to my backpack to start loading it with my gear, I noticed that a stick, approximately five feet in length, about one inch in diameter, was resting diagonally between the open hip belt sections of my pack. The pack was still standing vertically on its end, just as I had left it, but with the addition of the stick, which was on top of one side of the belt and under the other Mm -hmm. side. There was no stick present there when I entered my tent the previous night, and I had observed no sticks of this size laying anywhere in the area. Both ends of the stick appeared to have been snapped off and not cut. Upon inspection of the nearby area, I could find no sign of anywhere where it could have come from or snapped off from. I heard no noises of any kind during the night. I see no way this stick could have randomly fallen in this manner since it did not appear to come from anywhere nearby. Furthermore, I see no way it could have fallen over one side of the belt and right. under the other. Absolutely. This was, a few, this was a few hours after that mysterious beam of light. 
That's just so bizarre. No, it's 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 crazy. So well, you know, you know, I had I like I said, I read the brief, and then I watched the other things and read the other things, and I actually sent you a message. And I was like. I'm, I don't know where the belt goes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so, or the pack goes. So you refreshed my memory on that. And I remember when you discussed that, um, Paraversal Universe, I was going, oh my gosh. Well, they had, you know, either there are fairies or little people and very well in, you know, the different regions through here, there yeah. were a lot of Native Americans, so that's not an unreal thing or mm-hmm. unbelievable thing. But there's also, you know, Bigfoot in that area are reported. Yes. yes. So, you know, you can go any direction, and it's just as bizarre, but we've got to take our break. We'll be okay. right back, and y'all be pondering. Y'all come up with an idea about how that happened, because I've got nothing. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Several U.S. presidents are on record talking about the UFO mystery. Yep. Presidents Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, both had UFO sightings of their own, but the current presidential campaign might be the first in which UFO disclosure has been championed by a major party candidate. DIA, CIA, it moves around, is operating a program to train psychic spies to spy and use their powers against Russia. John Ronson writes about this in The Men Who Stare at Goats. The first known sighting of a ghost took place right after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated uh, in the late 1860s during the administration of Ulysses Grant. Project Paperclip, Clinton releases it all in 1998. Possibly the unequal cooling of a surface. I say to you, still think it's a meteor, Professor. I don't know what to think. The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. It's a place where UFO hunters and scientists gather to examine paranormal activity in the region. Some of the documents, this is bringing Nazi scientists into the United States to work here. So we fought against the Nazis. And it's not, this again is not a revelation. As early as 1947, 1946, we knew some of this, right? On the paranormal, will we see U.S. President Barack Obama's foreign policy go intergalactic in a quest for gold stolen by aliens? We'll tell you at least how the White House responded to claims the chief executive has been teleporting to Mars. But let's get to today's Capital Account. UFOs. Hauntings. Psychic abilities. Conspiracy. ESP. Cryptozoology. There are many things that remain unexplained in the inexplicable world around us. 
and we're talking about them here, looking for answers on WBHO Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. The truth is out there. Thank you for listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 23 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson. I'm so glad you're here because this discussion is off the chain. I have Trey Hudson of the Oxford Paranormal Society based here in Alabama. And they are a TAPS family group. But we have been discussing beyond spiritual paranormal here although we do have questions for you about that and i think we're going to take the final segment to get some of these questions answered but i do want to go ahead because this is relevant to what we're discussing and i think it's going to be relevant to what we've left discussing Mm -hmm. which is do any of your team members feel that when they were missing that they may have been abducted. I I will say this. Uh, out of respect for my team members, I will say that there are indicators that that might have happened. And I'm just not comfortable going into it any more than that. And you know, okay. y'all will just have to just, you know, understand that I'm you know trying to respect the privacy of my uh, team members. But, I, I would not think that that would be out of the question, you know, and, and what we have to do is do some regression, you know, if this uh, individual or individuals, you know, agree to it, but that's, you know, that's a very personal thing. So uh, out of respect for the, uh, the individual or individuals, I'll, I'll just say it, it's, it's a possibility. You know, there may be indicators there. Good enough. And, you know, we were talking about how, each individual that experiences these things, whether they're in a big group when all of y'all are there and like the three just disappeared, or it's something that happens later. You know, these are, these are very personal experiences. I learned that sitting in an, an experience or workshop at the UFO Congress in in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. It is such a personal thing that, you know, I was there as media, but I also felt like I was an experiencer. So I was allowed to remove my credentials and go in there as an experiencer. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, it was very eye opening for me and, it's like, you know, with your team, it's completely up to them if they choose to do a regression, if they choose to share that information with anyone, whatever. And Sherry said, yeah, that's okay. He doesn't have to answer. And she understands, but it's not even that he doesn't have to answer. It's just, or that he's trying to dodge it. It's just that those experiences are so personal. You know, it is. And I've been very, very proud of my team. Uh, a lot of people would have completely lost it. Yes. You know, totally just completely come unglued during some of these experiences. And, you know, it, you know to, to an individual, they were able to reach inside of themselves and, you know, 
grab that you know bit of courage and focus on the professional mission at hand and stay focused on what we were doing. And uh, you know, I think because of that, that we've uh, you know we've had just some absolutely phenomenal results. And you know, your listeners probably don't know this, but I'm I'm only halfway through my notes. I mean, yep. I've. <laughs> You know, there's still probably another three hours of stuff that we've experienced, uh, and we're going to see uh, what happens in June. We may have uh, a whole other, you know, a whole other five or six pages of notes to add to this. So. Well, you know, that's why you're going to have to come back. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> because yeah, you know, this is this subject is so near and dear to my heart. I I love research. I love hands-on i i just love that y'all are doing this work so it's it's got to be you know sometimes it gives you pause as you're going in but you know i'm sure that you're prepared for almost any eventuality so well we try to be we yeah. try to be yeah, the odd thing is uh, there's uh, an individual that I've run across that, you know, paints themselves as a, you know, a paranormal investigator. Uh, you know, hasn't been in the, been doing it very long. And they're like, you know, we can't believe that, you know, you've gone into UFOs and Bigfoot stuff, you know, and are looking into that. You know, you're supposed to be a paranormal investigator. My answer is, I, you know, I go where the data and the experience takes me. Yeah. You know, Uh I'm not going to box myself in like I talked about and keep my little box so tight that I'm not going to open up the lids and stick my head out every once in a while and say, wow, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Maybe it all belongs in the box. So, uh, you know, I'm absolutely still a paranormal investigator. I've got a few cases, uh, you know, in the shoot waiting for this COVID-19 thing to get over with. Oh, I know. And, but it's I'm all- terrible for the people experiencing yeah. right now. Yeah, it's awful. It, it really breaks my heart. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite the adventure. And the cool thing is the adventure is not over. I know, right? Now, I am so, I don't even know where to go next. So I'm going to let you start with your notes. I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact before we move on mm-hmm. that you were using, I call it Gansfield. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Estes. Well, Estes, Gansfield, they're pretty much the same mm-hmm. thing, the sensory deprivation yeah. experience. Right. Uh, and right. So you were bringing paranormal techniques into this UFOlogy experience, which is cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, my, my philosophy is to take the best practices out of all of these fields you know, whether it be a paranormal field or, you know, the way we run, you know, military operations or the way we use the scientific methodology or whatever, take all of these best practices and, you know, load up my toolbox and lug my toolbox out to the meadow, open it up, and I've got this wonderful array of knowledge and techniques and experiences mm-hmm. that I can bring to bear on the issue. And, uh, you know, using that kind of the philosophy has yielded these uh, these results. Uh, and back as recently as, let me get my bearings here, in November, 
we decided we were going to do the Estes method mm-hmm. in the meadow, which is kind of crazy, uh, kind of nutty, but what the heck, let's give it a shot. So, um, and I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the, uh, the Estes uh, method. Now I'll, I'll go over here real quick is you, uh, you take a standard ghost box and you, you know, set it over to scan you know, the frequency. So you're picking up little snippets of words and stuff like that. And you take an individual and you put uh, sound-canceling headphones, or in our case, we used uh, sound-blocking earbuds with uh, shooter's muffs over it. So the person hearing the words in the ghost box absolutely has no idea of what's going on around them because they're also blindfolded. And then you have an interrogator or a questioner ask questions. And if the person listening to the, uh, the ghost box hears a word or a phrase, they just speak it. You know, they just blurt it out. And so we did this in the meadow, and we believe that we were actually able to enter into a communications with some sort of entity. And it was a two-way conversation. Um, and it's, uh, I've got that up on my uh, Facebook page for Oxford Paranormal Society. I made a little video. Uh, of that that experiment, but you know we're you know we're we're just dancing along the edges of uh, these techniques, and you know trying to break new ground. And every time we try something new, it yields amazing results. Uh, one of the things that we're going to try uh, when we head back out to the meadow next month is we're going to use uh, Stephen Greer CE5 protocol. Oh, interesting. And uh, so People we've got a lot of good results with that. Yes. And, you know, the people have had experiences, you know, everything from actual you know, crafts, to orbs, to entities. And I'm like, well, you know, we've kind of had all of that happen. So let's see if we can really, you know, crank it up a little bit and, you know, and, and move, you know, into the next level of our communications and interaction. So uh, we're going to give that a try. I've got some people that are real excited about that. And then we're going to do some more Estes work. Uh, and then do some more traditional, you know, uh, investigation with, uh, you know, observation posts and stuff like that. Right. Well, you're going to need so, those because if the CE5 works, then yes. you're going to have some things to document. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, That's once again, we're going to take all our equipment out there and you know, set it up and hopefully, uh, you know, be in a position to capture you know, some of this phenomenology, you know, be it audio or visual or you know, clear, you know, if it's heat related. So I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, where is this place located? Every one of my team members and every guest that comes out with me signs a non-disclosure statement. Well, absolutely. You know, so I've got the legal you know, stick to beat them with if they disclose this location because it's, it's that special. It is yeah. that special as a site. And, uh, and I want to try to keep it as pristine so we can continue to do, you know, sensical, logical, and meaningful investigations for the next foreseeable future. Absolutely. I mean, you have to protect the integrity of that area. It's just, like you said, it's just too special. Yeah. So, I, um... I was just looking to see if there was anything else. I did find that that 
our listeners are surprised that, or just finds it interesting, how people start with the paranormal and then run into all these other aspects, like aliens and Bigfoot and other cryptids. I have, it's all one. It is, it is. And my, you know, my thing was very odd. Uh, I studied at the University of West Georgia. I studied under Bill Roll, you know, the famous parapsychologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I've always had an interest in this stuff. And it just so happens that I uh, got involved with a uh, with a, a gentleman while I was doing some research in Corpswood Manor uh, in Georgia, which is a, a very famous haunted location. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking at a uh, Bigfoot conference in Georgia. And he said, hey, you know, if you want to come to this conference, you know, we had gotten to know one another. He goes, you can stay in the cabin with my team and come to the conference. And so I'm like this lone paranormal investigator at a Bigfoot conference. You know, I was like, you know, a fish out of water. I was, you know, like a giant sore thumb standing there all by myself with no friends, you know. And the crazy thing happened is whenever we would break, I would have these Bigfoot researchers come up to me and say, hey, you know you're a paranormal investigator, right? And I said, yeah, I'm just trying to you know, broaden my horizon. And they said, I don't want you to tell anybody this, but we have paranormal stuff happen all the time when we're out Bigfoot hunting. And it was yeah. like researchers, researcher, and they were all very, you know, they didn't want other researchers to know about it because they were afraid they'd be mocked. Yeah. And it just so happens one of the researchers was Bob, you know. Really? Uh, who became a very good friend of mine. And that's how we met and started researching together. So, uh, you know, we, like I said, we kind of stumbled into this area because of uh, the folklore, and it also had a history of uh, Bigfoot stuff. So, you know, we went out that, that fateful night, you know, when he saw the UFO that weekend and decided to investigate, and it just started rolling from there. And, you know, all of my team members have kept a very open mind. So we're able to, uh, you know, to capitalize uh, not only on our experience, but also, you uh, you know, what our knowledge and experience is. Just so cool. You know, the the fact that you have gotten a group of this nature together says so much about them and about you. The discrimination, not negative discrimination, but, you know, the discrimi- discriminatory reasoning behind I need people that, you know, are credentialed. I need people who have great bona fides. I need people that are open-minded. I need people that are scientific and able to do this. I mean, you had to go through all of these different thought processes to pull this group together. And it's, it's impeccable. And it's, it is. It is. And we, you know, we have each other's back. You know, we always have a, uh, what we call a QRF or quick reaction force, you know, that's armed. Mm-hmm. that can in and deal with a situation if it gets crazy. You know, if we are attacked by, you know, messed up hillbillies or, you know, strange business women attacking us or whatever, you know, we have a team that we trust with our lives that can right. come in and pull the bacon out of the fire. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of this group. Uh, you know, we've done some amazing things. Well, you have, and you have so many more still to come. I just no, think absolutely. that I really just think it's a a very neat thing that you're doing. So 
when I'm saying, I'm trying to see if there are any more questions so that I don't. Oh, we do have one more because we're, we're going to go to break in about four minutes. And I said okay. we were going to do the questions the last segment, but they're here now and we're talking okay. about the, the meshing and stuff. And what was your craziest experience when you were ghost hunting? And where was it? Oh, uh, this, the craziest thing that ever happened to me ghost hunting was obviously with the paranormal, uh, Oxford Paranormal Society. I was not the director at this time. Uh, there's a very famous uh, location in Jacksonville, Alabama called, uh, it's an old dairy farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was built back in the uh, early 1900s uh, using the most modern technology at the time as giant thick concrete walls and you know just a very you know monumental structure and over the years the uh the dairy farm was absorbed by neighborhoods and all and the the main barn complex fell into disrepair well like a lot of abandoned buildings in remote areas uh, people started using the building for nefarious purposes and one of those purposes was for occult rituals And and it turns out that it was made into a restaurant, and the restaurant uh, failed. The business failed. And I knew the man that bought the restaurant in order to sell it to some other organization. And I'd heard these rumors about this site for years. Now, of course, it had been refurbed into a restaurant, but the structure was still there. And uh, and it's called the Old Henry Barn. It's a well-known landmark. And so he gave me the keys to this and said, yeah, you're more than welcome to you know, research and investigate it and whatever you want. So I told the guys, you know, in the, uh, in the OPS that I had the keys to it. If we wanted to uh, you know, take a look at it, we could. We thought, you know, it would be a good training exercise. It's big. It's roomy. We have enough, you know, area to spread our equipment out. It would just be a good training exercise and, you know, get a, in a little investigation in the meantime. So I started uh, doing a little bit of research, and I interviewed a woman who's an adult now. And she said that there were occult practices that went on while the building was abandoned, and that she personally had done a uh, a ritual that involved making a pentagram out of salt and doing certain incantations, and that she saw a black figure rise up out of the pentagram. Oh, my goodness. So I'm like, well that certainly doesn't sound like a restaurant. That sounds like something a little bit more nefarious. So, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. You know, that's kind of my thing. I'm like, okay, that's a very interesting story. I appreciate your, your, you know, your, uh, your affidavit. And that will help us, you know, kind of get an idea of what we're dealing with. So we went there, we set up our equipment and about an hour or two into the investigation, we started seeing shadow people out of the corner of our eyes. And That's uh, it crazy. Wasn't, wasn't just one person. It was multiple people said, have you been seeing something in the corner over here by the stairwell? And people, other people are like, eh, yeah, I thought it was my imagination. No, we were actually seeing something. And we started getting EVPs. And I, I I've can't got, remember exactly. I've got to do it to you one more time. I'm so sorry. Oh, me. <laughs> we will be right back. Y'all come back too. This is unbelievable stuff. We will be right back.
Thank you for listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 45 minutes after the hour. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHN Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hopson Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Paranormal Experienced with Kat Hobson, and I am so sorry to do that to y'all because we were in mid conversation. Let her rip. You were seeing okay. the things out of the, you were seeing the shadows well, around the stairwells and everybody well, was getting the same thing. Getting the same thing. And we started having some, uh, you know, some EVPs and we had our equipment there to where we could, uh, you know, actually download the EVPs right, right there and then do analysis. And so we're, you know, we're really getting into it and it's like, you know, wow, this is really turning out to be something, you know, we're having phenomena happen where we were, we're expecting this just to be a really quiet kind of training thing. And then all hell broke loose. L- figuratively, not literally. Literally, I, I would be out of there. Uh, figuratively, uh, we heard the most rambunctious noise, clattering, you know, turmoil coming from the main dining room. And we thought literally somebody had broken in and was getting ready to attack us. Oh it was word. like it, it sounded like tables and chairs being thrown amongst the room. It was so loud. And so we uh, we started grabbing stuff to defend ourselves. You know, like you know, one person grabbed like a you know a little pole that you use to put a rope on when people are standing in line, and you know we're nice. ready to jump up rampart and do battle with you know whoever these nefarious burglars were. And uh, nobody came. So like, okay, well, we've got to check this out. We're paranormal investigators. So we go up to the room where all this uh, commotion was happening, go in there, 
shined our flashlights around, and not a single thing was out of place. Right. Nothing. Nothing. And it was just so... It was just so crazy and so uh, extreme. That's probably one of the weirdest, uh, you know, weirdest things that's, that's ever happened to us while we were investigating. That's bizarre. And have you ever had anything follow you home? Never have. Never have. I, uh, you know, I, I, I usually don't go into it because it's kind of a personal matter, my uh, spirituality. But you know, my belief system is I and protected, yes. you know, and, um, I don't really worry about it. Uh, I've never had, I've never had anything follow me home. The closest I've ever had is I was using, I had started experimenting with instrumental transcommunication and I had built an early version of uh, a ghost box. And if you remember the old uh, radio shack hack where you would modify a radio, cheap radio shack radio to scan the frequencies. Well, I had done that and I was starting to experiment with this. And it was one evening, my wife and I were asleep and the telephone rang about three o'clock in the morning. Right. Well, if you're like, if you're like me, when the phone rings at three o'clock in the morning, it's usually not good news. So you know, I you know, bolted up a bit, sat upright. I picked up the phone in a mechanical sound voice, almost like a synthesizer, said these words, the gates of hell, and then hung up. Well, that's comforting. Yeah, that's, that's very odd. And uh, so I started thinking about a, uh, a lecture I went to, a private lecture when I was at West Georgia uh, with, the, uh, with the author of the book, uh, Phone Calls from the Dead. And he was talking about you know, telephones and other things being used as uh, instrumental transcommunication devices. And I'm like, well, great. What was all of that about? And after that, I have never, you know, I've never had anything, you know, odd happen or, you know, anything weird. So that was a, hmm. that was the closest. Yeah. That's interesting. Or it could have been a wrong number. They could have been saying, Mr. Gates, hello. They said Gates of Hell. So yeah, no doubt. Was, it was it was a synthetic voice, which was a little unnerving too. Well, yes. April wants to know what kind of questions do you ask when you get a two-way conversation going? I, I usually ask for Powerball numbers. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I would ask for Powerball numbers. I have. Got anything uh, on the lottery? What I usually ask is, you know, is there anything here? Because I don't say anybody because it could be an entity Absolutely. that's not human. Yes. Is there anything that would like to communicate with us? And uh, to see if that elicits, elicits a response. And a lot of times it's free form. You know, uh, I was doing an investigation in LaGrange, Georgia, uh, last year and uh, I had designed a new ghost box and uh, we started having names come through it. So I was able to hold a conversation with uh, a little girl named Grace and a very angry male entity. Uh, and you just kind of take it, you know, sometimes where these things go, you yes. know, they'll, they'll often guide you. Now the SD session that we did in the meadow, 
uh, some of my questions were about phenomenology, and we've been exploring uh, some of the, the recent scientific uh, theories of uh, plasma energy and electromagnetism creating portals, you know, little micro portals. So I was asking this entity about that. You know, can you tell me about this uh, phenomenology? Is this what the portals are made of? Uh, you know, what are the precursors? You know, can we look for radiation, electromagnetic fluctuations, time dilations? You are trying to get a feel for it. And the, uh, the entity that we were talking to there was open at the initial, and then it started getting really angry. Like really? it did not want us to. Yeah, like we were, uh, you know, like we were intruding. You know, like we weren't supposed to be there watching these portals open and close. You know, we were raining on their parade. So, uh, you know, like I said, that video yes. I have on my uh, Oxford Paranormal Society Facebook page. Uh, so that's there if anybody wants to listen to it. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of uh, kind of like you would if you sit down and start talking to somebody in a park bench. Just kind of go where the conversation takes you. I have found that always gets me a lot more information, or I feel like it does. So then there's the question about a Ouija board, and I answered for myself, but how do you feel about using Ouija boards? You know, I've got the, the logical answer is that it's really no different than a ghost box. It's just another, you know, tool, another device. Then the superstitious part of me says, heck no. So I don't personally use them. Right. Uh, well, my my uh, take on it was that the difference between, you know, ITC devices and a Ouija board is that with the board, you invite spirits to use your body to communicate by moving yeah. the planchette. So you're opening yourself up more. Yeah. You know, and interesting you should mention that. Um when we've done the SD protocol and we've done it on other things uh-huh. is the people that seem to be the best receivers are those that have had some sort of training, like a remote viewing mm-hmm. or some sort of conscious expanding training. Yes. And uh, there seems to be something too, other than the individual just repeating the word, there seems to be a little bit more holistic. You know, there seems to be a little bit more of a gestalt to it. So I think, you know, there's some, I hate to use the word mediumship, that's probably not the right word, but there's something to that, kind of like the early uh, Spiritcom uh, experiments, yes. where you know, it was believed that some of these Spiritcom uh, experimenters actually were acting as a conduit or a type of medium, and that's why Spiritcom has not been able to be replicated. That would be logical. Yeah. So, That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Might as well. It's late in the day. <laughs> well, you know, we have got about eh, six minutes, five really, because I want you to tell people how to find you. So, um, what are you anticipating in June? What is going to be your primary experiment? Our primary experiment, like I said, it's going to be two phases. Uh, phase number one will be Friday night. We will do the uh, the CE5 uh, protocol as uh, you know, practiced by Stephen Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer yes. and others. Uh, I've got a, uh, 
a Bluetooth speaker. We're going to do the, uh, the recorded crop circle frequencies, you know, that have been recorded in some various crop circles. Yes. Uh, the people that will be going with me have either experience with remote viewing or the uh, Monroe Institute. So they're, you know, they understand how to get to that, you know, stage of consciousness. Uh, then, of course, we'll have, a, you know, some videographers and recorders with us, too. So that will be Friday night. Uh, and then Saturday afternoon, uh, during the day, since we've had very good experience during the day with Esty, we're going to do some more Estes protocol uh, and see if uh, whatever the entity is or was will uh, re reestablish communications with us and maybe develops hopefully some kind of rapport. You know, I've been trying to do that, that, you know, we're just explorers, you know, we're not harmful in any way. Yes. And then Saturday night, we're going to go back to our, uh, our traditional methodology of uh, exploration where, uh, oh, I just saw somebody pop up and say they're interested in crop circles. I didn't even get to my crop circle story. Maybe that's oh. the next time. We will do that because I absolutely love crop circle stories. I got to talk yeah, with we, one of the premier researchers in that, and she has since had a stroke, so I haven't been able to have her back on yet. And I'm ever hopeful because I really admire her a lot. But they're wonderful. Yeah, we've had uh, crop circle kind of things happen in the meadow, too. So, you know, we've really? had it. Really? Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's on the fourth page of uh, the notes. <laughs> so that happened right after our backpacking thing. It was the next morning. So, so yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. Well, you're definitely going to have to come back. And, you know, I just have so enjoyed this time with you sharing your information and being so open to questions. Because I know that I knew that you had your notes. I know that you have experiences that really need to be shared as we did here. Because people need to know these things happen outside of one geographical area. So it's yeah. not the geology that's creating the experience. You know, and, and these aren't these aren't my experiences. These are the world's experiences. And well, they, they, they are. They do. And it's, the, you know, the interaction is what is just absolutely beautiful. The fact that, that y'all don't run from it, you know, the, the fact that people are open and willing to stand there and do the work, even with all the, you know, what appears to be woo woo happening all around them. And these are people trained to see beyond the woo-woo and start trying to find answers. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So I love that aspect of what you do. So tell people, you know, you've got the, the Oxford Paranormal Society website. You're right. on Facebook. You yes. have, um, do you have a page for the, the anomalous? Uh, because I, I couldn't find it. No, not yet. Uh, right now, that's kind of rolled up through the uh, OPS uh, Facebook page. The, unfortunately, my website is old. I haven't updated it. I'm sorry. The best thing to do <laughs> is, if you, is go, to the, uh, go to the Oxford Paranormal Society uh, Facebook page. And uh, 
you know, take a look at that and uh, just request uh, membership. I'll add you. And I usually keep uh, all the updates on the Meadow Project. I post there, um, of course, less you know, certain information, but I try to keep people updated uh, using that venue. Well, good enough. And that being said, we will have to get together and, and schedule another time because there's so much more to this, and I appreciate you sharing it. Maybe after your next expedition. Sure, sure. And we can I'll learn about learn more about that so guys i can't believe our time is up can you this was the fastest two hours on radio on the internet on anything this just went by way too fast i appreciate every one of you who are here in chat listening and interacting with our questions in both chats and i just think that y'all are wonderful y'all are the reason that that i do this work in the research and I know that that's the reason that that all of our hosts do that because we like to bring information to you to help you understand a little something about the metaphysical world as well as just things that we don't understand yet it's okay because we'll get there eventually so thanks again and you know just get out there be the change you want to see in this world. You know, it's um, it's a little tough right now. But every one of us has the power to make it better. Just manifest that. Pray about it. Whatever works for you. Bring it to bear. We need you. So just go out there and be the change. And you know what? Thank you so much. Thank you, Trey. I appreciate you. Right, and welcome. I'm looking looking forward to the next y'all have a great week i will see you on sunday with fate mag radio same cat time same cat channel good night you are listening to wbhm digital broadcasting birmingham alabama Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.